this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 290, and today we are talking about some of our favorite books of 2020. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Tears of Liberty! How's it going? Good. Like, I don't know, like, we haven't just talked for, like, half an hour before we started recording. I know. It's par for the course with us. Yeah. I'm great. I'm excited to be talking about end of the year, you know, all the great best of books, but I'm also kind of, like, secretly a ball of anxiety on the inside because I hate leaving out books I love, and we're only talking about so many books because the show can only be so long. So I feel like I have to apologize to all of the books that I'm not talking about and all of the books I haven't read this year, even though that's silly. I should have given you my trick for for helping alleviate some of your anxiety. I didn't even think of it because I, too, get very stressed out about not being able to talk about more books because, you know, authors work so hard on them and and there's just so many great books. So what I do is I put like a bunch of titles in a hat and then I picked eight. And that way it's like, well, it was left up to chance or fate or both of those fans. I don't know. <laughs> and so therefore it's not really my, I did, it's not my decision. <laughs> That's a good way of doing it. Yeah. There, and I mean, like if you follow us at all on book, right? Like we shout about books in so many other places. So yeah, like, we are talking about all the books, just not all the books, all the books that we love this year. And just as many as we can fit in in an hour. Yeah, that would be impossible. I've had the same sort of reading experience this year that I had last year, which I find interesting because it was such a different year this year in which I started and I was sort of reading and I was like, I'm not loving like a ton of the books that I read. Like they're good. But then I got to the end of the year and I was and I thought. I have loved so many books this year. I don't know if it was just like my attitude or what in the middle of the year, but all of a sudden yeah. I realized like, oh, and this book and this book and this book and this book. You know, I'm very excited about your first pick, which I'm not going to spoil for everyone <laughs> right now, which I still haven't read. It, my copy was like on back order forever uh. and it finally arrived yesterday. So I think it's going to be like my first pick when when I start reading. Yay. But- yeah, it's it's so it was it's, it was a weird year for reading for I think a lot of us and and for me too because you know at the middle of the year there was a point where I was reading a lot of books that I wasn't like absolutely loving and for me it was hard to tell if it was like is this just not for me or is it like because the world's on fire and I'm not really feeling reading right now. Yeah. Um so there's actually like a big stack of books that I you know, started and and abandoned and didn't finish for, you know, I think mostly because like my head was not in the right space. Um, And most of them are from the summer. And I really, really, really want to just like pick them up and try to like finish them before, you know, January, just to kind of like round out the year. And I picked up one of them yesterday, and I ended up really loving it. And like, I finished it in a couple hours in the afternoon. So that was really, really nice. And yeah, so also there's that that we were contending with in 2020. So it's it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to judge sometimes. But I did love a lot of books this year and yeah, it's been very exciting. Speaking of exciting, um when I was a little kid, my mom was a librarian and every once in a while an author would come into the library and I was just in awe. Like that's a person who makes a book like ooh. And now as an adult I interact with people who write books several times a day, and I'm still like, ooh, they write books. And one of those people is you. And I just wanted to mention that you have a book coming out, and the date has changed, so I thought maybe you could do a little plug for it again. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, so, yes, my debut YA novel comes out now on April 6th. It was coming out on March 9th, but, you know, publishing, they had to change the date, um, which is cool. Hopefully, like, waiting one extra month won't be too much of a hardship. Hope it'll be worth it. It is called Pride and Premeditation, and it is a murder mystery retelling of Pride and Prejudice, kind of like by way of Agatha Christie. Excellent. And I have to tell you, um, first of all, the cover is absolutely amazing. Absolutely gorgeous. Oh, like two of my cover. favorite colors together, like bright green and, and pink. I love those color combinations. And also, I was talking with someone this morning who said they were about to start reading your book. And I was like, oh, why don't I have this book? Why don't I have it? And and they were like, well, I downloaded it from NetGalley or Edelweiss <laughs> or something. And I was like, oh. And I looked it up and I downloaded it last week <laughs> and then promptly forgot. I know you're going to find it hard to believe, but I might download like a few dozen books a day <laughs> from, from NetGalley and Edelweiss. So um, I'm sorry that I forgot, but now I'm excited all over again. No, that's cool. I totally do the same. I just, you know, especially since... I'm always thinking about books for the show and books for, you know, other things. I download a ton of things and I'm always like, oh, my gosh, I don't have this book. And then I my Kindle tells me otherwise. And I was, then I feel kind of silly. But, yeah, I'm well, thank you for downloading it. And I hope when you get around to reading it that you enjoy it. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Oh, thanks. Also, I, I'm going to make a full confession. I have never read Pride and Prejudice. I've read Sense and Sensibility. It's the only Austin that I've actually read. And people keep, like, telling me I need to read Pride and Prejudice <laughs> but I feel like I already know so much of it yeah you know like I have the basic gist that when I read books that are based around it or like you know retellings I have a pretty good idea well and Pride and Prejudice is just like one of the most like well-known stories in I think our like cultural literacy that yeah you totally don't need to have read Pride and Prejudice to read you know my book or any other of the wonderful retellings that are out there. And honestly the first few times I read it I was kind of like Meh. Um, it wasn't until later when I was like oh actually I really do enjoy this and I begin to appreciate it. So but that's, like, that's, I think, the beauty of retellings is they keep the classics alive in new and interesting ways. That is a good point. There is a queer Hamlet coming next year, which I am Ooh. excited to read. Uh, what is it called? Oh, The King of Infinite Space by Lindsay Fay. Ooh, I love Lindsay Fay. There's, like, three Peter Pan retellings, I think, a Red Riding Hood retelling. There's a couple of Secret Garden retellings that are coming. Yes. And I know of at least two Jane Eyre retellings. I think they're YA that are coming out next year. And I think one of them is queer. See, I kind of really want my Pride and... Maybe I'll like read Pride and Prejudice in 2021, but I really want it to be like my Jane Eyre experience in which I read it as an adult and was like, well, I'm going to read this book because, you know, everybody has read it and, you know, classic, it's old and it's probably going to be boring. And I was like... <gasps> That was so good. <laughs> Jane Eyre is good. I know it has its problems and, and you know, yeah. people point out its issues, but I do love Jane Eyre. Yeah. In my last, my last apartment before I moved here, I used to live in, like, the attic of this building, which was a really horrible, awful place with no insulation, and I should never have lived there. But I made this sign for my door that said Mrs. Rochester. <laughs> and I used to get food delivered, and the delivery people would be like, thank you, Mrs. Rochester. I'm like, okay. <laughs> You're like, Which oh. just cracked me up. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. We are going to talk about best books today, and we are going to do that in just a moment. But first, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Just Some Stupid Love Story. So in Just Some Stupid Love Story by Caitlin Doyle, Molly and Seth were best friends turned lovers until Molly ghosted Seth on the eve of their high school graduation, which is very trifling, I might add. So now they've reunited again at their high school reunion 15 years later, and they make a bet. 
whoever can predict the fate of five couples before the next reunion must declare that the other is right about true love but what is the catch you might ask well the catch is that the fifth couple is them dun 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 so this is a callback to the best 90s and early 2000s rom-coms if you like when harry met sally or how to lose a guy in 10 days this will be right up your alley this is also perfect for fans of romance readers of emily henry Catherine center and others like that make sure to check it out and thanks again to flat iron books publisher of just some stupid love story for sponsoring this episode Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Okay. I lied earlier, I guess, when I said that I picked all of the titles for this episode out of a hat. I did not have to pick this one out of the hat. This is my favorite book of the year, most likely. Occasionally, if you catch me at a different time, I might say differently, but I doubt it. And it is The Orchard by David Hopin. You all knew I was going to say that. I mean, I've <laughs> yes. been talking about it forever. It's a fantastic debut novel. It's about a young man named Ari Eden. He is a devout Jewish high school student living in ultra-Orthodox Brooklyn. He's like 16, I think. And his dad gets a job in this posh Miami suburb. And suddenly he's attending a private Jewish high school. So he goes from like this very strict school to this wealthy glitzy neighborhood and he moves in across the street from the richest most popular kid in school and he invites Ari to hang out with him and his friends who are also like most of the most envied kids in school and suddenly Ari is now you know partying and he's drinking and taking drugs and going to school with girls talking to girls like there were no girls in his his school in Brooklyn he falls in love and all of a sudden, he's questioning his faith and his future. You know, he thought he, he kind of had it figured out or didn't even, like, think about it really too much. Like, everything that he knows has been upended, and he's just questioning everything. I loved this novel. It was so entertaining, and it just sucked me in, and that is exactly what I needed. It just, like, fell into this novel. Um, I'm also a big fan of, of novels about faith and religion because I am envious of people who have faith and religion. I myself do not have any. And, and I am envious of people that have, you know, something, you know, to comfort them, you know, when they need it and, and to believe in. So I'm always looking for amazing novels about religion and spirituality. And, and this was just magnificent. And the ending just, whew. I have to say, uh, I have been keeping a little scorecard just like for my own, you know, personal satisfaction, I guess. And I've had 27 people contact me and said that they purchased or you know, took this book out from the library on my recommendation and loved it, including our beloved Rebecca and the amazing author Roshni Chokshi, which is like, wow, <laughs> like she tweeted at me or something and said she loved it so much. And I was up in Portland a couple weeks ago, standing outside print bookstore and managed to hand sell two copies of this while I was there. <laughs> so I love this book. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm mostly... I'm cool, like, working from home, but every once in a while I miss being a bookseller, like, out on the floor. Uh, and so it feels good to, like, be able to just tell people as they're going into the store, like, hey, get this book. So this is The Orchard by David Hopin. 
All right. So my first pick is probably my favorite book of 2020. And I inhaled this book and I loved it so much. And I've also been shouting about it from the rooftops. Sadly, I do not have a bookstore that I've been into lately to like thrust this book upon people. But I totally would if there weren't a pandemic going on and I could actually be in a bookstore right now. And that is The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. And it is a sci-fi novel, and it's about a woman named Kara who lives in a sort of dystopian-type future where um, multiverse travel is possible. This, like, super brilliant billionaire has invented multiverse travel, and it's this mega corporation that controls all multiverse travel. And she is, like, just one of many, many, many employees at this corporation. And she is actually a traverser. And you think like, okay, this is a big deal. Like people can travel the multiverse. So like the people who actually do it are probably like bigwigs. No, they're just like, you know, employees that are, you know, have these quotas to meet and they have to do a lot of, lot of work. And they're not nearly as um, sort of like high profile employees as like the engineers and the techs. And so she is working hard and she just kind of wants to, she has to put in 10 years of work at this company and then she can get her citizenship. Um, within the walled city where like life is so much better than for people who are outside the city, which is where she grew up. And Kara is also like really good at her job because um, in order to be a multiverse traverser, you like you can't your doppelganger can't be alive in the world that you're going to. So Kara's had like a really, really rough upbringing. And because of her really rough upbringing, like a lot of her doppelgangers in other worlds have not like made it to adulthood. So as a result, she can travel to like most of like the known worlds in the multiverse that they can go to. Um, And she can go to a lot of them because, you know, her her doppelganger is dead. And so this book starts when she is about to go to a new world because through their intelligence, they've discovered that, you know, her doppelganger in this specific world has just been murdered. So they're like, ah, we want to send you to, you know, this world to do your data collection. And she's like, yeah, okay, no problem. And when they go to the multiverse, it's not like she's like going around interacting with people. She just like kind of goes in unseen, gets the data she needs, and then she gets out. So she goes to this um, world and through like a series of events, she discovers that she's like actually at the center of this really vast conspiracy. And I'm not going to say too much more because this book, the delight in reading this book is that like there are so many amazing like twists and turns and plot connections and developments. And like some of them like I did see coming, like I kind of had an instinct for it, but like also a lot of them I didn't see coming. And that was kind of delightful because just when I thought I had this book figured out, the author would like throw in this whole new element that made me go, oh, wait a second. And it's like truly a thriller in the sense that like I could not put it down. Things just kept happening. It was brilliant. Um, it's also got some great queer representation. The plot was excellent. Um, I Yeah, I just loved everything about The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. Okay. That was the book I was speaking about earlier. Um, it was on back order with the publisher forever, but my indie finally got it in and... I think I'm going to read that really soon because I'm very excited because so many people have added it to their best of the year list already. I'm so glad. It's so good. <laughs> so before I get next started on my next pick, I forgot to mention at the beginning that we're doing eight picks each this time. Uh, I don't think we mentioned that. And so that's exciting. So it's like Yay. double your fun and, uh, you know, just giving little rundowns on them. And I say that and then my book has like the longest title. <laughs> A long title, a little rundown, and a long title. My next favorite book of the year is World of Wonders in Praise of Fireflies, Whale Sharks, and Other Astonishments by Amy Nizuku Matato. This book just won the Barnes & Noble Book of the Year Award. It's a beautiful collection of essays slash memoir about the natural world. Things like whale sharks and axolotls, which are those cute little lizardy things essays about the weather and more i love books about nature and animals because even when you think you've heard everything all of a sudden they're like you know did you know that you know polar bears can play the piano behind their back or something like that you know you're like oh i had no idea i just learned something (laughs) new i love stuff like that and this book is about how we relate to the natural world and the things that nature has to teach us and also some incredible observations that the author made and it's the memoir part is 
about growing up Asian American in Kansas in an all-white town. Uh, her mother worked at an institution for mentally ill criminals, and as a child, she used to have to walk there after school every day. And that's kind of where she made a lot of her observations, was on her walk about trees and the weather. And, you know, she also talks about, like, the racism and the microaggressions that she experienced growing up and how she kind of soaked in her natural surroundings as she grew and some of the lessons that she learned and the lessons that nature can impart on us. It's so beautiful. I feel like this was a really quiet book. It also got pushed several months from its original release, which might have had something to do with it. But it's if you love reading about nature, you know, this should be at the top of your list. This book is called World of Wonders in Praise of Fireflies, Whale Sharks, and Other Astonishments by Amy Nizuku Matato. Also, I want to point out that the last time I talked about this book, which was, I think, in September when it came out, a million of you sent me links for those Axolotl Questions t-shirts, which is hilarious, but I actually already had one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. All right, so my next pick is Girl, Serpent, Thorn by Melissa Bashardust, and I love this fantasy book. I've been recommending this book a lot, too, because uh, I know a lot of people love fantasy, but my be feeling like a little bit of like fantasy series fatigue. Um, I love fantasy, but I totally get it. Like sometimes you just like want to read one book and not have to like keep up with like multiple sequels and waiting for the sequels to come out and remembering what happened in the last book. So this is a good book for you. Girl, Serpent, Thorn is a YA, but it really, I think it's a really good like YA adult crossover novel. And it is about a young woman named Soraya who has grown up in one of her family's palaces, um, she's a member of royalty, and she has basically grown up in, like, this garden that's, like, secreted inside one of the old palaces, and she hardly has any contact with the outside world because when she was an infant, she was cursed to be poisonous to the touch. So basically, if she touches any living, like, human or animal, um, they immediately die, um, just, like, boom, on the spot. She, this um, does not affect her touching, like, plant life. And, in fact, um, she keeps, like, a lot of beautiful rose gardens. And, like, that. basically that's her thing. Like, she she's completely separate from the outside world. And, like, normally she's kind of like, okay, well, this is just the way it has to be because it would absolutely gut her if she caused anybody's death. And um, she's very, very careful about, you know, making sure that she's never the cause um, of someone's death. And this kind of becomes difficult for her when her twin brother is announced that he's going to be married. And she knows that, you know, once he, he gets married, like he's going to be kind of like moving on to his new adult life. And, and she's going to feel even more left behind because she she can never do any of that. And so she becomes really determined that she's going to figure out, like, the cause of her curse and see if she can break it. Um, but, of course, you know, doing so is going to be a lot more difficult than she first imagined. And, in fact, finding answers to her curse is going to really force her to look at the past and history and question everything that she's been told about her life and um, about, you know, her powers. So this is just a beautiful fantastic fantasy novel. I blew through it. Um, it's Melissa Bechardo's second book, um, and it is based off of a um, Persian myth, and I just thought it was really, really gorgeous. I also learned a lot while reading this book and um, about like different mythologies and, and different magical creatures, and it was very, very fun. So highly recommend Girl, Serpent, Thorn by Melissa Bechardost. My next pick is Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark, which just got picked up. I think it's going to be a movie, maybe a limited series, but I think it said it was going to be a movie. It's an excellent fantasy horror novella out from Tor.com. They have the best novellas. Uh, it's set in 1915 around the release of The Birth of a Nation, which includes images of the Ku Klux Klan and has sort of emboldened the Ku Klux Klan in... Uh, the United States and also like put them at the forefront of people's minds and they're growing. And the protagonist of this book is a young black woman living in Georgia named Maurice. And she is part of a secret group that kills Ku Kluxes, which are monsters disguised as Ku Klux Klan members that only certain people can see. So like when 
people look at them, they look like humans, but actually she and a select group of her friends can actually see that they're these supernatural beings, and they hunt them and kill them. And Maurice comes from a very tragic background, and that trauma left her with a gift, and she now lives on this farm. It's all women. They're scientists and doctors, and they're working to rid the world of these uh, Ku Klux monsters. And then one day, this big bad comes to town and sort of like struts his stuff and challenges Maurice and her friends. You know, he kind of throws down and she knows she's going to have to do something about him. It's so interesting and just wildly original. It's it's this look at this horrific racism, you know, in our country and sort of the start of the Ku Klux Klan, but with like a supernatural twist, which is so interesting. I just absolutely loved this book. And it is called Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark. Mm, that book is at the top of my TBR. I can't wait to <gasps> <Yay>. read it. <laughs> yes. So my next pick is The Third Rainbow Girl by Emma Copley Eisenberg. And this is a nonfiction title that came out at the beginning of this year, I think before even the pandemic. So like, I had to think a moment, like, is that 2020? Okay, yes, this is a 2020 book. Um, It's a really excellent um, sort of part memoir, part true crime about a um, double murder in a small West Virginia town. And what's really fascinating about this book is that, like, half the book is about this murder and the case and, you know, just how the case affected the community members. And then half is Emma Copley Eisenberg's memoir of when she went and, like, lived in this town and she was working there and um, how she kind of became aware of the case. So very quickly, um, what happened was two young women were hitchhiking to a rainbow gathering in the West Virginia woods. And it's a little bit sort of murky. People kind of disagree on who last saw them. But basically, their bodies were tragically found in a state park. And they had been murdered. And really, like, nobody really had any solid leads or solid ideas of, like, who might have done it for, like, almost two years. And then all of a sudden, um, somebody in the small town was arrested. And it was kind of a mess just entangling the story and figuring out who who might have, have killed them. And this person was arrested and he went to trial, was in prison for a number of years. And then all of a sudden was released. And then there were questions about, like, did he even do it at all? Or there was somebody else who was also claiming responsibility. So it really kind of turned into a bit of a mess. And and what it really did, too, was split the town, um, just polarized them on, you know, who was actually responsible. So the memoir aspects um, are really awesome because you get a sense for the town, like, outside of the context of, of the murders, but then you also kind of get a sense for how these murders and um, the polarization between the people of, like, you know, who who actually did it has really affected the community in the ensuing years. So it's a brilliant book. I, I really, really enjoyed it. When you think it's going to be something, you know, and you just you're like, okay, this is how it's going to go. And then you find out, you know, five chapters later, like, oh, no, that's not it at all. Um, It kept me just absolutely riveted. So that's The Third Rainbow Girl by Emma Copley Eisenberg. Another great book of the year. I actually there were a couple of your picks. I was like, (gasps) I wonder if I should choose this one. And then I looked and you had them covered. So I didn't even put them down on my little pieces of paper. Uh, That was definitely one of them. My next pick is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which, if I'm keeping track correctly, has appeared on more end-of-the-year best-of-2020 lists than any book out this year, I believe. It's about twin sisters, and it follows several decades of their lives. They grow up together in this small southern town, and they run away when they are 16. And years later, uh, one of them returns with her daughter while her sister continues to live far away from the town and passes for white and is married to a white man who is unaware of her background. It's a look at racism in the South and also the history of passing. The town in this novel is founded by a black man who founded 
a town for black people who pass as white. Uh, and when one of the twins returns to the town with her daughter, whose skin is very dark, it causes a lot of problems for that girl. And it's just a devastating you know, generational novel about these sisters and how they cross paths again as mothers and how their daughters are going to grow up. I watched an interview with Britt Bennett and yeah, Jesse a week or so ago where they talked about their books because Transcendent Kingdom, yeah, Jesse's book that came out this year is also, also so excellent. I meant to say so, so excellent. Instead, I said also, also excellent. <laughs> and you know, she talked about a couple of the books that she read to write this book, one of which is Passing by Nell Larson, which is an incredible novel that if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And then I picked up the other book that she talked about, which is called A Chosen Exile, A History of Racial Passing in American Life by Alison Hobbs, which I hope to read soon. And I find it really cool when you can look at like the source material for novels that you love and like learn more. And that's what I'm going to do with this one. It is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. All right. My next pick is Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Crosby. And I picked this up because actually I had the good fortune of um, appearing in an anthology with S.A. Crosby. And I liked his story so well that I was like, man, what else has he written? And like this book had just come out. So it's an adult novel. It is totally thriller type. And like, I just have to say up front that I never thought that like reading a description of a car chase scene could be like as thrilling and as gripping as like watching one on tv until i read this book it's so good so it's about this man named bug um, which is short for beauregard and he lives in the rural south when you first meet him he has a family he has a small business um he's very good uh car uh, i was gonna say he's a very good car driver which kind of feels a little bit simplistic and silly when I put it like that, but he's a very good driver. He knows cars and it's partly because he works on them. But then as you find out um, when he was younger, like in his late teens and early twenties, he was a getaway car driver. And he kind of learned a lot of what he knew from his father who disappeared on him and from his uncle who has not always, um, you know, lived on the right side of the law. And, so when you first meet Bug, he he's, you know, just living a very proper life, making ends meet. But a series of events kind of conspire against him. And he basically he needs a lot of money and he needs a lot of money fast. And if he doesn't get a lot of money fast, then multiple areas of his life are just going to combust. And it's not really, you know, his fault or anything that he's done or not done. It's just life circumstances. And so he decides after trying a lot of different things that the the only way he can get out of the situation is if he takes on one last job as a getaway car driver. And so he goes into this very, you know, very intently, very determined, just going to get in, get out, never get caught, try to minimize the danger. And of course, the job goes sideways. So all of a sudden, he really has to like pull out all the stops in order to kind of pull things back together, get the money he needs, but then also kind of escape with his life. So it, this is just an absolute incredible, thrilling book. I just absolutely inhaled the audio version, which is really, really well done. But it's very thrilling. It is a little violent, so just a little heads up there. But I really enjoyed it. And plus, it has been picked up um, to become a film, I believe. So if you want to read this before it becomes an amazing movie, because I'm sure it'll be an amazing movie, um, definitely pick up Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Crosby. He already has a new one coming this summer. Yes. <laughs> called Razorblade Tears. But it's such a good book. I love getaway car movies. Also, I love a one last job trope. You yes. know, like one last job. And you know that that's always bad. It's like in the movies when like policemen have like one day left in their retirement or like one week left, like you know bad stuff's gonna happen. Oh yeah. I love I love those. And I also just picked up a novella of his, which I haven't read yet, called My Darkest Prayer, which maybe I'll read that this weekend. Mm. I know. Very excited about everything to do with S.A. Cosby. He's such a good writer. Yeah. So before I tell you about my next book, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Hachette Audio. Three years ago, sports agent Myron Bolitar gave a eulogy at the funeral of his client, renowned basketball coach Greg Downing. 
So why, you may ask, is Greg now being placed at the scene of a double, not a singular, but a double homicide? I also wonder. So Greg Downing, who Myron gave a eulogy for, is a suspect and Myron needs some answers. So Myron and Wynn, longtime friends and colleagues, set out to find the truth, but the more they discover about Greg, the more dangerous their world becomes. Secrets, lies, and a murderous conspiracy that stretches back into the past churn at the heart of Harlan Coben's blistering new novel, Think Twice. And the audiobook is narrated by his longtime narrator, Steve Weber. Now, if you don't know about Steve, Steve gives each character distinct voices and accents, making this a more immersive listen. Make sure to check out Think Twice by Harlan Coben. And thanks again to Hachette Audio for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips. So Louise Manson is the newest student at Highfield Manor, Dublin's most exclusive private school. Behind its granite walls are high-arched alcoves, an oak-lined library, and the dark secret Lou has come to expose. So Lou's working class status makes her the consummate outsider. That is until she is befriended by some of her beautiful and wealthy classmates. But after Lou attempts to bring the school's secret to light, her time at Highfield ends with a lifeless body sprawled at her feet. Then, 30 years later, Lou gets a shocking phone call. A high-profile lawyer is bringing a lawsuit against the school, and he needs Lou to testify. Lou will have to confront her past and discover, once and for all, what really happened at Highfield. Powerful and compelling, When We Were Silent is a thrilling story of exploitation, privilege, and retribution with themes of revenge, love, power, and secrets. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips for sponsoring this episode. Okay, my next pick is the YA crime thriller None Shall Sleep by Ellie Marnie. I actually missed this one when it came out and caught up with it a few weeks later. Loved it. Loved it. It's set in 1983. I call it Silence of the Baby Lambs, which, as <laughs> I've said before, I know is redundant, but makes me laugh. Um, it's about these two teens who are recruited by the FBI to help them out. Um, one is serial killer survivor Emma Lewis, and the other is U.S. Marshal candidate Travis Bell. Uh, they are recruited to interview teen killers and try and gain a certain perspective into them that maybe the adults might not be able to get. But then as their work starts, they become involved in this active serial killer case in which someone is kidnapping and murdering teenagers. And so now they've asked them to interview a very famous teen serial killer to try and get insight into the active killer on the outside. This killer is in jail. So it's kind of like Silence of the Lambs. Like they go to talk to this guy um, and he, of course, wants to like learn all about them and personal information. But this book felt so real. I loved how thrilling it was. And it's also super, super scary and violent. So, you know, warnings for that. But Emma and, and Travis, they felt like people that I knew, you know, it, I was worried that it was going to be like very dramatic teenage drama that like sometimes people overdo. Um, but they're just like these brilliant, level-headed teens who are doing their jobs and like when you know we always talk about teens but like they're 18 years old that means they're technically adults really you know and they're just helping out and you know despite like their hesitation for certain reasons they just want to catch this guy so they'll do anything that they can even if it's like if it hurts them it's a, it's just so amazing and i love the time period i have mentioned before like how much i love reading crime books that take place before technology so you can't just like text somebody like you know, here's the answer or this and that. You know, you got to like look around for it. I love <laughs> stuff like that. So this one is None Shall Sleep and it's by Ellie Marnie. Okay, so this is the second podcast episode that I've been on when you have talked about that book. And it, you like totally reminded me because after the first time I was like, yeah, I've got to get that book. And then I still haven't gotten it. So now I'm really like, I've really got to get that book. I'm so excited. Okay. Um, my next pick is When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. And uh, if you 
know of Alyssa Cole. She is a romance writer. Primarily, that's what she's known for. But she's also written this amazing thriller um, that I really, really enjoyed. Although I also have to say that like reading this book stressed me out so much, but like in a good way. Um, So it's about a black woman named Sydney who has just returned home to her Brooklyn neighborhood. And she's really alarmed and quite disheartened to find that like gentrification has really come to her neighborhood in full force. And so many of her neighbors and like the people that she considers part of the community and what make the neighborhood great have um, just moved away. Like they've sold their properties, they're moving away and all these white people have come in. And a lot of the white people are very, 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 very rude and racist and it's really just soured the community for Sydney but she is like not going anywhere she doesn't want to be bought out and she is determined to stay and really preserve that sense of community and their history so she tells one perspective the other perspective is from a white man named Theo who has moved into a house across the street from Sydney with his girlfriend they bought the house together but um, not long after the sale went through their, their relationship has completely and utterly soured to the point where they're just like living on separate floors and so this book is about how both Sydney and Theo have secrets in their past that they are trying to um, kind of preserve um, but they end up working together to uncover the history of like the black residents in their neighborhood with the hopes of like maybe forming a walking tour of the neighborhood at one point. But instead, what they do is they uncover some pretty dark and disturbing secrets about the gentrification that's going on in the neighborhood. And the secrets all suggest that like, oh, you know what? Um, these longtime residents aren't just selling their property and moving to the suburbs like somebody is actively getting rid of them. So it's thrilling. It's exciting. It is, um, like I said, very stressful at times because uh, like the bad guys are really, really, really bad. And I was like holding my breath as I was reading this, but it's so, so good. So that is When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. My next pick is Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, which won the National Book Award for Fiction this year. It's the first time that I've successfully picked the winner in a long time, so I was feeling pretty chuffed. Uh, It is a novel about a young man named Willis Wu. He is an Asian-American living in Chinatown, and he kind of refers to himself and all the people around him by these stereotypes that Hollywood has given Asians. Um, He calls himself like generic Asian man and how like you see him or someone like him like in the background of lots of things, but they're never really the stars. And meanwhile, he's living in this uh, area where this TV show called Black and White, which is a procedural cop show, is being filmed. And, you know, it's sort of feeding into the stereotypes of his friends and family and neighbors and how they're always typecast in TVs and TV and movies. Um, and uh, Willis really wants to be Kung Fu guy. Like that would be the coolest thing that he could be would be to be Kung Fu guy. Uh, so he's working on that, but he also feels like he's more like disappointed son. Uh, and so we follow along as he tries to break out of these Hollywood tropes and find his authentic self. It's beautiful. It's funny. It's incredible. It's Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. All right, my next pick is Something to Talk About by Meryl Wilsner, and this is a romance novel. It's a complete delight. It is about a showrunner, Hollywood showrunner named Joe, who um, goes to a red carpet event, and she brings her assistant along with her because she needs her assistant's help for some stuff. And her assistant's name is Emma. Joe and Emma are caught like laughing together on the red carpet. And the paparazzi like catch this photo of them that like looks very romantic and intimate and immediately run off with the story that like, oh, they must be dating. Well, they aren't dating. They aren't even, you know, that close or romantic at all. But they, they, so they decide just to not address the rumors, go about work as normal. But um, once they do that, and once that idea has been planted in their minds, they have to kind of slowly start to admit to themselves that like, oh, there, there is a little something there. Um, this is a beautiful slow burn romance and um, like with the emphasis on slow burn. Um, But it was absolutely delightful. It's fun. It's funny. It felt very grounded, despite being a book that takes place in Hollywood. I just loved it so, so much. And that is Something to Talk About by Meryl Wilsner. My next pick is my favorite true crime book of the year. It's called We Keep the Dead Close, A Murder at Harvard and Half and a Half Century of Silence by Becky Cooper. And it's 
just incredible. In 2009, Becky Cooper was a student at Harvard University. She was hanging out with some people. And some guys start telling her the story about how supposedly there was a murder at Harvard 40 years earlier and the university covered it up. And he said, not only that, but that professor like over there, he's the guy who did it. And Becky Cooper kept thinking about this, you know, like, how is this actually possible that that they did this? And she looks into it. And there in 1969, there was a Harvard student named Jane Britton. She was 23 years old. She was a graduate student in Harvard's anthropology department, and she was murdered in her apartment. And the rumors were that she was having an affair with her professor, and he or his wife killed her to either silence her or, or in a jealous rage. And the, the university just covered it up somehow. Uh, and over the next 10 years, Becky Cooper was obsessed with this story. She wanted to get to the bottom of it, and she dug so deep into Jane Britton's life. It turns out like she there were a lot of suspects. And not only that, but she just uncovered all the rampant misogyny and abuse of power by the all-male staff that had been going on when Jane was a student, as well as like continuing at the university. And it was her obsession for 10 years. It's so incredible. You know, it's a look at like trying to get justice for people and also, you know, how people on the other side who are trying to solve crimes, like when do you give up? Like when do you stop? To, to what end? It's, it's just wonderful. It's called We Keep the Dead Close, A Murder at Harvard in half, and a Half Century of Silence. I did that twice now. <laughs> By Becky Cooper. Uh, that's also at the top of my list. Okay. So my next pick is The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. And I know Liberty has talked about this book because I was <laughs> on an episode with her when, when she first talked about it. And I was like, I need this book. And it is so, 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 so good. It is a book about um, a man named Linus who is kind of like a caseworker in this department in charge of magical youth. It's a world that looks a lot like ours, but it's a little bit more whimsical and there are magical kids. And so it's his job to make sure that like orphanages that take care of these magical kids are doing right by them and that the kids are safe and everything is good. And he's such a hard worker that he gets the attention of like the very upper management. And they say, we're going to send you to a very, very special orphanage. It's a very, very special case. Um, and basically, you just have to go there for a month and make sure that, you know, everything's going well, report back to us. And so Lennis is like, huh, okay, yeah, sure, no problem. And he goes to this um, house in the Cerulean Sea. And what he finds there is not at all what he expects. Um, he, there are, you know, some magical youth there. And then there's also their caretaker, who is a man named Arthur. And he, Arthur's a little bit unconventional. And the youth are as well. And I'm going to leave it at that because this is really and truly a delightful read. It made me so happy while I was reading it. Um, it's whimsical and zany and funny. And I'm definitely going to reread this book in many years to come because it just makes me happy. Um, and that is The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. I feel like every year there's that book that comes out that people read and then they're like, I want to read another book like this. And this one seems to be that book. Like, everybody this year yeah. is like, tell me about another book like The House in the Cerulean Sea. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's you got to so wait unique. a little bit, you know. Um, but, oh, so good. And for my last pick, I have Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell, which won the Women's Prize for Fiction this year, which used to be called the Orange Prize. It's I'm such a huge fan of her work, her novels, and then her memoir that came out last year or the year before. She's just an incredible writer, and most of her stuff is, like, contemporary or within the last, you know, couple of decades. This one is about Shakespeare's life. Uh, well, not about his life, but set during Shakespeare's life. It's a historical fiction about the death of Shakespeare's 11-year-old son who died of the plague, but based around his mother, Anne Hathaway, and it's about the grief of a mother who has lost her golden boy, you know, and how Anne Hathaway's talents as a healer were unable to save him. And Hamnet is actually another version of Hamlet, uh, which, of course, as we know, is the play by Shakespeare, which came out after his son's death. It's such a devastating book. It just floored me by how sad it is. But also, just, it's almost miraculous, her writing. I mean, everyone I know who has read this has, has loved it because it's incredible. She's a magic worker, Maggie O'Farrell. I mean, I don't know how she does it, but because I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that even now after having read, you know, however many books I've read, when I pick up a book that's like, it's set in the 1500s, I'm like, hmm, words and time that I'm not going to understand. But 
It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. This is Hamnet. It's by Maggie O'Farrell. Right. My final pick is actually a children's book, and I love this book so, so much. It is From the Desk of Zoe Washington by Janae Marks, and it came out at the very beginning of this year, but I just read it. And it is about a 12-year-old girl named Zoe Washington who is an aspiring baker, and she... Um, is looking forward to just like a really fun summer and it's her birthday at the very beginning of the book and she is going out to check the mail when she intercepts a birthday card from her biological father and she knows and has always known that her biological father is in prison. He has been in prison since before she was born and she's never had any contact with him. So of course she's immediately curious. She opens up the card. It's this lovely birthday card and she really wants to write him back. So she starts this sort of like secret correspondence. She doesn't tell her mother or her stepfather that she's talking with her biological father. And in talking with him, um, she slowly learns that, yes, he is in prison for murdering a woman. And um, but she doesn't realize that her father has always claimed that he, he wasn't the one who did it. And in fact, um, you know, he has an alibi, but his lawyer was never able to find his alibi. And so Zoe takes it upon herself to to try and find this alibi witness and clear her biological father's name. And this is just a wonderful book about social justice and about Zoe really learning a lot about, you know, social justice. She's she's a black kid so she knows you know, that racism exists, but she doesn't really realize like the systemic issues that extend into the justice system. And so it's totally and wonderfully like age appropriate. It's like a delightful children's novel where she's, you know, dealing with real issues that kids face. But then she's also kind of got this big issue at the back of her mind of like, you know, is my biological father innocent? And if he is, like, what does it mean that he's spent my entire life in prison? So yeah, it's wonderful. Um, I highly, highly recommend it for adults and for kids because I was just completely and utterly entranced by this book. So that is From the Desk of Zoe Washington by Janae Marks. Okay, that was a delicious selection of some of our favorite books of 2020. What are you going to read next? Um, let's see. I have been rereading or picking up some books that I kind of abandoned earlier this year, like I mentioned earlier in the episode. But I think my next like new book pick, um, since I'm on a holiday kick and it's December, I think I'm going to read In a Holidays by Christina Lauren. All right. I just got my hands on the new Daryl Gregory. I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, this one is a novella coming out from Tor.com called The Album of Dr. Moreau which is a take on the island of Dr. Moreau, the H.G. Wells, which I have not read. But, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, kind of knowing the story of classics, and I basically know that story. I might have also watched, was it Marlon Brando, I think, was in the movie a long time ago? But the description says it combines the science fiction premise of the famous novel by H.G. Wells with the panache of a classic murder mystery and the spectacle of a beloved boy band. Oh. It's about Wild Boy Z. Or no, not Wild Boy Z. Look how old I am. I pronounced the Z. <laughs> it's about Wild Boys. And they are the world's hottest boy band and definitely the world's only genetically engineered human-animal hybrid vocal group, which is hilarious. Which immediately <laughs> makes me think of... Gravity Falls. There's a Gravity Falls episode where, like, the boy band turns out to be all these clones. I always love a Gravity Falls mention. Maybe I'll just rewatch Gravity Falls today. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that is all for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or find us online. Tears of Hangs Out on Twitter and Instagram at Tears of Price. That's T I R Z A H P R I C E. I hang out mostly on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.